Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Elizabeth Reese. I'm Marjorie Punnett. And this is Best to the Nest, the podcast that is all about creating strong, comfortable, beautiful nests that prepare us to fly. Hi, Marjorie. I missed you. I've missed you. I don't even know what day it is, what continent I'm on, what's happening. I'm in a severe jet lag situation, um, but I feel like I'm going to be on the upswing pretty quick. Well, what a way to come back to the United States of America. That's where you are. To this beautiful article written all about you. Isn't that so nice? Yes. It was Welcome really home. nice to see this. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, so Marjorie is referring to a piece that just is coming out in Sunday's paper. It's already online uh, from the Minneapolis Star Tribune. Rachel Hutton is a writer there, and um, she reached out to me several months ago, and it was so nice. You know, she said, You've been on the air for such a long time and no one at the Star Tribune has ever done a full profile on you. And she said, and I don't understand why. So I would like to do it. And it was really sweet. She came and spent an entire day with me, like came to my house, came to like appointments that I go to. We went to lunch, hung out with me in the office, in the makeup room. I mean, my whole day. It was really intense. That sounds and grueling, actually. I know. I drove her everywhere. We chit-chatted <laughs> the whole time. Yeah, we had a great time. She was really fun and asks incredible questions. Yes. And then a photographer named Sherry, who is super talented, came to spend another entire day with me. And Sherry came to my house, met my dog, uh, one of my children, and wow. she came to the studio um, to take photos on our 15th anniversary show of Twin Cities Live. And then together they worked and put together um, this piece. And you know what I, number one, you're quoted in it. So thank you very yes, much. I had a very long conversation. I think we talked about an hour. No way. About you. That feels like too long to talk about me. Which is when you sent me the article, I'm like, I can't get it. Send it to me, send it to me, send it to me. Because you're always, I said only lovely things, but we're both have been reporters. Yeah. And we were both good reporters, I think, and honest reporters. Mm-hmm. But it's always a weird feeling to be on the other side because there's a certain loss of control of your a own. A total words. loss of control. And so it's just always, even though, I mean, she was not doing an investigative piece on you. So, <laughs> but it's always like you just want to make sure that, like, it's all good and it's all good. It's a super sweet article. And she was lovely. I could have talked to her all day, too. Yeah, she was she was really lovely. I think the way that I live is like normal, like this is just a normal deal. And she helped to kind of put it into context that it isn't that normal and that there's a lot that goes into making it all work, you know, and like putting it all together and making making it like happen seamlessly. And every day is a challenge and all of that. Um, But it was it was nice. And I think it was a realistic portrayal. The article is not just like 
oh, she's so nice and she's so fun. It was an in-depth article about who I am and what I'm up against and what I'm navigating and how I'm I'm not always doing it right all the time, for sure. Well, I think what is tricky about being in the media, and I so much has changed since you and I started in the business, where when I started in news in 1989, as a news producer, I would pick the stories that would come down from the national feed about what was going to go on the 10 o'clock news. And at 23, I felt like I was in control of the world. Yeah, Because I felt like I was some sort of gatekeeper to what people were going to see on the 10 o'clock news that night. And I was because the Internet didn't exist. The news that people were going to get, they generally got either from the newspaper or from the news that night. And mm -hmm. so it was a weird feeling of I was privy to things that other people didn't necessarily have access to. Yeah. And I felt a responsibility in that. And I, I loved that feeling. Then. I think when you start to be a, a a person who's on the air, who's actually a broadcaster, that there's another level of weirdness to that, that when we both, when you particularly, or when I started in that, again, there were no influencers, there were no, right. it was, it was another world that had many closed doors and to get that door to open to you was a very big deal. It's not the case anymore. Mm -hmm. If you want the world to see you, you just go to Instagram or Facebook, set up a live, and the whole world can see you. And so I thought some of the points she was hitting on in the article was that balance of who you are publicly, who you are personally, your sense of responsibility and having a public face, and what that actually means. Mm -hmm. And I think if for someone like you that's been in it for 15 years, that's been on that show for 15 years or close to it, yeah, it's not just, you're just not an influencer. It's different. It's different yeah. than that. And broadcast mm -hmm. is still different than just posting. Even yeah. though, I mean, it just is. There's a, a real sense of, I think, and I, I liked that the article points this out, that when you're broadcasting, on a show like TCL or on the radio show that we used to do, there's a real focus on community mm -hmm. and what we mean as broadcasters to the community and what our responsibility is to that community. And I think sometimes that gets lost in this sea of personalities. Totally. There's a string back to the community, which I thought she made a nice point about that. And I think you live that every day. Yeah. Thanks. I, yeah. I think um, the, I am really grateful that in this land of like social media influencing and, you know, cause that's part of what I do, you know, that I am, sure. I am on social media. I have a following on social media, right. but it's not, that's not the first thing. That's not it. That's just sort of like a, it's a side deal. The main thing is the television. And I think that's really helped me navigate social media because I yeah. think some of these people, and I, I mean, I don't think this, I know this because I speak with other people who's, who are sort of solely their their sole um, experience within having a media following is in social media, right? Oh, they didn't have yeah. a TV show, they didn't have a radio show, they didn't start doing this twenty years ago. It was sort of like, oh, I was a good designer. I started posting. All of a sudden, I have a hundred thousand followers. And so then, when I talk to those friends of mine, um, they struggle a lot because they don't they don't have that sort of gradual ramp up into 
having people know who you are. It's just right. sort of it happened right there where, I mean, and, and it still takes a little bit of time, but we're talking like maybe three years of building a following where me, it was 20 years of building a following. Right. And so right. it's, so I'm grateful for that depth always. I think that definitely makes a difference and makes me able to share and, um, and, you know, and here on the podcast and have some really in, intense conversations. Did you see in the article that she mentioned in one of those first episodes when I talked about getting so mad at Jay that I threw the rug down the stairs? Yes. That's a good story. That's a good episode too. Yeah, we, that was I don't remember early. what the, what the, the theme was, but I think it was our, our, um, I think it was a little bit about temper and when we've lost it, lost it. Yeah. It was when we got Jay and I got in a fight about a rug going into Franklin's room. Yeah. And I got so mad that he was battling me on this rug that I pulled the rug off the floor and I threw it down the stairs. In the article, Rachel <laughs> describes it as I rolled the rug up and threw it down. No. That was generous to me. Yes, um, that no. was generous because was, there was, was no rolling. It was raging, pulling yeah. it and throwing it down the stairs and saying, if you don't like it, fine, get it out of here. And I didn't say it that nicely. I yelled it. And um, do I regret it? No, I don't. Because I, the rug's in the room. <laughs> and sometimes you got to stand your ground. Yeah. Okay. I, I generally in my life often regret rage. Do yeah. I regret all fights? No. No. Do I regret when I'm out of control? Yes. Because yeah. it scares me. I don't yeah, like I was that out of feeling. control. I don't like that feeling. And I'm not asking no. you to regret it. You don't have to because you just threw a rug. But it's it is um I didn't throw it at him if that makes you feel any better. I just threw it down. Elizabeth, there is no judgment here. You're talking to someone who I can remember my first really good tantrum. And I was yeah. five. And it was <laughs> epic. <laughs> against the babysitter because my parents had gone off to the West Indies and missed my birthday. Oh, I was so mad. That I is. I remember climbing on the bookcase and throwing all of the Encyclopedia Britannicas out of the bookcase. Those are expensive. I know. That's a good, that was a good rage filled temper tantrum. I know. I don't regret that one. So no. like, I think we each get one that we don't regret. <laughs> I don't regret that one at all. Oh. It was it was worth it. Um, that is fair. Well, thank you. And thanks to Rachel. Thank you to Rachel and to Sherry. And um, and particularly, I think, thank you to Rachel for including Best to the Nest, which is really, you know, I've talked about it before. I mean, we, this is a real passion project of ours. This is, yeah. we do it because we want to do it. We are not paying our mortgage with this podcast. <laughs> I will tell you that right now. It is not even <laughs> remotely close. The yeah. total dollars that I've made on this podcast, I don't think would make one mortgage payment. And um, well, we're that's actually okay. in the negative because we paid for all of our equipment. Yeah, that's right. So, so we're, that's right. We're negative. We're probably in negative territory, which we is are. fine. We're we're happy with that. And someday, someday that may change. And if this podcast <laughs> happens to make some money, we will accept it and pay our mortgages. We It'll will. be beautiful. We will. We will. But in the meantime. We have other jobs to do as well. And that yes. job of mine just took me to Ireland. So we do owe you an apology because let me tell you, the intention was so there to be able to record a podcast with you from Ireland. I was on a trip with Twin Cities Live viewers. Um, it was 75 viewers. That's crazy. I was there for um, like, including my travel days, it was nine days away. And is that one I, bus load or two? 
it's two because oh it's like okay. bougie buses and you don't you don't have right. to cram in there. When you travel with Carousel Travel, I mean, they really know how to do it. It's great. But I I just had no time. I had absolutely no time. I really had no time. I was so busy, but it was really fun. Ireland is incredible. I really learned a lot about Ireland. And I I mean, everybody says like, oh, you just fall in love with this place. Let me give you a little context, Marjorie. Ireland is the size of Indiana. Did you yes. realize that? I Well, I am the, Irish. So there is much that I know about Ireland. This is so wonderful. Yes. I did not realize the size of the comparison. It's 2.9 times smaller than the state of Minnesota. And it is <laughs> the size of Indiana. There are approximately 5 million people in the Dublin area. So that's mm -hmm. a lot. 7 million people in the country total. It's At tiny. its height, before the potato famine, there were 9 million people in yes. Ireland, and then many, many died, and even more emigrated and left and went to all sorts of nations, which is why Irish culture is so prevalent around the world. It's a really fascinating little Emerald Isle. Well, I am. Um, I, I went to my grammar school in Chicago was predominantly an Irish Catholic I, I was Catholic, and so right. it's an Irish Catholic school. So much of my life and I was a redheaded, freckled girl. So much of my life has been identifying with being Irish. And I'm actually Irish-Scottish predominantly. So we have the Kennedys on the Irish side and the Campbells on the Scottish side. I don't know if we left in the potato famine or later, but they most of the Kennedy side went to Canada first and then oh. came down to Michigan. So, um, But it, it is funny because as a child, I very much identified as Irish Scottish. And then yeah. as you get older, and I think you marry, you know, Ian's German mm -hmm. and English, you know, as you get older, you don't sort of identify it with it so strongly. But I think for me, the Irishness was all over my face. So I couldn't, I could not ignore it. I mean, I was <laughs> truly freckle faced. I mean, just I was one of those kids that just had all freckles all over. So, yeah. So it, there was no escaping people noticing it, talking about it, making fun of it, liking it. So I, I very much identify with the Irish side of me. But I have not been. I've only been to Scotland and England. I never made it to oh, Ireland. Right. But You got to go. It's supposed to be amazing. So here are the things about it. If you're, you know, I don't work for the Ireland Bureau of Tourism, but I'd be happy to accept some sort of payment in the form of shamrock shakes. I don't know, whatever. Um, here's what I know about it. It's very easy to get to. Um, I flew from Minneapolis to Boston. I had a very quick layover. I'm not sure if there are direct flights from Minneapolis to Dublin. One would think, but right. I, you know, right. I would love to get on one of those and not do the way that I did. But, um, and then from Dublin, from Boston to Dublin, it was like 545. Yeah, it's so very easy. The Dublin airport is when you think of like a living nightmare that is Heathrow, when you're going to London, I would like you to think about the polar opposite when you're experiencing the Dublin airport. Seriously, It is so easy. Absolutely wonderful. Took two seconds to get through customs. Now I know different things can happen when different right. flights are getting in, but right, right, right. it was in my experience, very, very easy. Oh, nice. Very small. And then the drive to Dublin from the airport was like 30 minutes. It was easy breezy, maybe 35. Oh, that's great. And um, and then Dublin is, you know, it's, there's a lot of like similar characteristics to London. A lot of like the things have been built maybe a little bit later, but still kind of similar vibe. 
but just much smaller and so much more approachable. And the traffic isn't as bad. And there's just pub after pub after pub. (laughs) I will say the Irish drinking culture, one might think that it is a stereotype. And then you go there and you meet the Irish people and you realize this is just, this is a cultural thing. It is not a negative stereotype. I mean, in some cases it could be negative if you're drinking too much, but there's a lot of drinking and a lot of talk about drinking. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of like prioritizing drinking. Yep. Yeah. That would be, that would be what I knew growing up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is not uncommon for even in Chicago that kids start drinking pretty young. Very young. I learned this by talking to young people. When I was discussing this with them. Well, I think Um, you're allowed in the pub. I know in England, you're allowed in the pub at 16. Yeah, you can start drinking at 18. 18, okay. But most people start at like 14. Yeah. And um, that sounds about right. Yeah. But then you get out into the Irish countryside and it's absolute magic. It's just stunning. It's rolling hills. It's as green as you think. It is sheep and cows everywhere. And the air is so good. Like I kept saying, I mean, it sounds so funny, but I kept saying like, I got to breathe in this air. My body is like, where did you get this air? Where have you brought me? Is what my body was saying. It was like, breathe in, breathe deeper. I mean, really, the Irish air, fragrant. There was at one point, we went to this castle, the castle where Posh Spice and David Beckham were married. Queen Victoria, this was her she spent time in this castle. I mean, right. the history is unbelievable. It's massive. We did a dinner at this castle oh. and I walked out the back door. I mean, just overlooking acres of gorgeousness. Yeah. And then I breathed in and there was blooming wisteria all oh. over the walls on the back. Right. I mean, I nearly passed out with delight. My photographer, <laughs> Seth, comes out the back <laughs> behind me. He's like, he's like five minutes behind me. He comes out. I said, Seth, breathe in. And he goes, what? I go, close your mouth and breathe in. And he did it. And he was like, I mean, it was just, it's just so beautiful because everything is so so green, you know, they get so much rain and it's so green and we had amazing weather. And everything's um, blooming right now. Probably all the spring flowers are stunning. I'm sure. It was fabulous. It's, and there's just so much history. We talk about this on the podcast a lot when you feel I think travel and looking into history are the two greatest things that you can do to simultaneously feel like your life is meaningful and also understand that in the whole scheme of things, it's quite insignificant. And, you know, that, that dichotomy and feeling understood and good in both of those places, I think is one of the most important things in life. And when you look at history, the people of Ireland and what they have been through Mm -hmm. And how they fought for their own independence and looking back at the potato famine, which really, you know, for all intents and purposes was not that long ago. We also spent time in Belfast. So we went up to Belfast in Northern Ireland, which of course has been the center of so much conflict. There was 40 years of battling in Belfast and the peace was only brokered 24 years ago. Yeah. And according to the black cab driver that I was in his cab and he took us around to all of the sites to look at, um, to talk about that history. A lot of people there feel like it's hanging by a thread. They still have, Marjorie, there are gates, giant gates, okay, walls and gates. At seven o'clock PM, the gates close and the gates separate the Catholics from the Protestants. 
It's shocking. Yeah. It's yeah. shocking. It's, it's deep. It's deep. Did you, did you ever watch uh, Kenneth Brenna's movie Belfast? I just watched it on the plane on yeah. the way home. Yeah. yeah. And that movie really, yeah. I think it's about that one family. And so it's obviously just like a portrait of that one family. And I yeah. think understanding the greater context is so, so important. And I felt like just really grateful. Again, like I felt really grateful that I get to live in peace. I felt really grateful. And and then also understanding of generational trauma that gets passed down in the cells of these people and that generational fear. There was just like a lot of understanding that I felt and empathy and gratitude. Well, it's a, you know, I always, my, I think the Irish can be a very scrappy bunch because of what they've been through. Yes. You know, the, the history is very complicated. Mm -hmm. And I always look back. So my, um, my grandmother was Marjorie Campbell. Um, don't know who my great grandfather was. I honestly can't, I don't know his name because mm -hmm. the legacy of that side of the family were these incredibly strong women. Yeah. And she, I mean, my mom, I remember my mom telling me that basically like my, my, there were four girls and I think three boys in that family mm -hmm. and they grew up so, so dirt poor. I mean, just so, so poor. And the the women were all really lovely. I mean, mm -hmm. really beautiful women and very smart. The The men were also very good looking. They all went off to work as lumberjacks. And Marjorie Campbell, my great grandmother, who I'm named after, made sure those four girls went to college. Wow. All four of them were college educated and all four of them did quite well in life, but it was just through sheer will yeah. that 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 Marjorie Campbell had wanted them to do better. And yeah. you know, most of it is you know is the story of many of the Irish is they came over so so poor, so poor. Yeah, and which I mean, the worse than worse than many, which is yeah. why there was so much discrimination against the Irish here. Yeah. I mean, you know, the just, Irish were treated terrible as yeah, immigrants yeah. to the United States yeah. and the well, difficulties that ensued. And it's why they, you know, the way they found power was in police departments, fire departments and politics. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the story of a lot of the success for some of the Irish, especially on the East Coast. So it's an interesting history for sure. But I I can't wait to go. The people that I know that have gone said that the green is otherworldly. It's otherworldly. It's absolutely. And then. um. In terms of ease of travel, my friends, I did not realize this, but the Dublin airport is the only airport in the world that has a United States Customs uh, and Border Patrol office right in it. So you go through customs in Dublin to come home. Like I did not oh, go nice. through customs in Boston or Minneapolis. Oh, that's I went nice. Through, I went, met with U.S. Border Patrol agents in Dublin and then then went on my merry way. It oh, was that's unbelievable. Great. That's it was great. so now, easy. Now, I do have a question, and this hmm. is pertains to best to the nest. Great. Leaving for nine days when oh, you have three boy. young children. Yeah. How did that go? Um, you know, it was hard. It's it's hard. I, yeah. I did um we strategized a lot ahead of time. I had a lot of help for Jay. I mean, it's just the way that it has to go. Like he right. just has to have help. So yeah. um, so we had babysitters in the evenings, a few evenings. My parents took the kids from Friday to Sunday, which made a big difference. So Friday after school. Our nanny brought the kids to my parents' house. 
And then they stayed there until Sunday. Oh, that's um, nice. And then they came home Sunday night and then Jay had some help, but um, it was definitely harder on them. I didn't see them then until Thursday morning. And when they woke up and saw me on Thursday morning, Bernie was like, I don't ever want you to do that again. And I did say, that's the last time I'm going to go for that long. Like I will not, I can't go for that long again. And then now that's a boundary that I'm putting in, in terms of work that I'm, I am only going for five days when I go on trips again. Yeah. And it's, and it's, it'll be fine the way that, and this trip was incredible. It was so magical, but it was difficult because they're older. When Jay and I went to Norway for, we did 12 days and that was a work trip for me, but they were four and two. Right. And so they don't, you know, they're like puppies. Like they don't really have a sense of time. Yeah. <laughs> now they like really get it. You know, they're like, oh yeah. man, she's not yeah. here. And and it's difficult. But I will say, I mean, Jay sent me a really sweet text during the um when I was gone and just really like appreciative of fully understanding the magnitude of all that I do at our house. And then he sent me beautiful flowers in my hotel room on Mother's Day, which was oh. like so sweet. That was really nice. And I think overall it definitely went well. It just it took a lot of planning, but the truth of the matter was like, you know, we were deciding if Jay was going to come or not. And it's more work if Jay comes, because then it's really like, I've got to make sure all the care is buttoned up. If somebody gets sick, it's like a big crisis. If you know, you want to make sure that you didn't like leave out four hours where the right. kids are like I mean, sitting at school and yeah, that would yes. be, and then even things with the house, like me. I just yeah. making sure that I have everything, you know, with Jay, it's like, I mean, I inventory almost everything at this house. So, I mean, I had to say to him before, you know, I was like, just so you know, like you are going to run out of something. Right. There will be something that I have not handled that you will. I'm like, and I don't want to hear about it. Like you oh have to God. solve the problem. I mean, oh this is, God. they're literally the pep talks I have to give. <laughs> and, and I did notice that the dog food was purchased and refilled. So that it's, was things good. Things can happen when you're gone. <laughs> when, when I used to do freelance, I would leave on Monday morning and I would come back either Thursday night or Friday, you know, mm-hmm. I would leave for weeks at a time. And, um, I mean, we had an au pair, we had somebody that was living there with, you know, my husband, but it was like, it was funny because it would be like the transitions were hard, but like once I was at work, yeah, I was kind of fine. Like it wasn't like I, I didn't, and I am a worrier. It was funny to me that I didn't, because I was so busy, I didn't really worry. So did you, did you have much worry or once you were like, once you knew everything was okay every morning, you could actually enjoy the trip? Yeah. Then I enjoyed it. I had one but, day of worry, which was the first Friday because I talked to them. Um, I was FaceTiming with them every day on their way to school. Oh, so and that, Jay what would a huge hand, difference that yeah, is. So Jay would hand the phone to the back of the car and then oh, they nice. would FaceTime me on their way to school. Right. And um, Bernie was like kind of teary eyed and so was Frankie. And they'd had, you know, I left Tuesday, so they'd had. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And then this was Friday without me. And, um, the decision to have them go to my parents' house on Friday night was like the best because right. they were just, they missed me at, by that point, they were like, when are you coming home? Cause normally if I go somewhere, I go for three nights, you know, right. that's it. Right. Um, but then they were, they were fine after that. Like then they got to my parents' house and they were in good shape. And then they, they missed me a little bit, you know, there, my mom said, I think they're kind of missing you on the, on Sunday when it was mother's day and I wasn't home, but I'm going to tell you a little pro tip, not being home on mother's day is not that bad of a deal, my friends, because if you are like me and you have somehow wound mother's day into this like ridiculous, resentful day, which is what I have done 
and I, it is very challenging for me to enjoy Mother's Day because I end up just feeling like very, I get mad about like maternity leave policies in the United States. I get mad about like the mental load of motherhood. I get resentful about planning anything. I mean, it's not good. It's like a real spiral. Yeah. And this year I thoroughly enjoyed it. Good. Because I was in Ireland and that was it. (laughs) Yeah. It was funny. I had scheduled myself. I had finished with um, finals. So the day after I was done, I turned in my last paper and I took the train up to Chicago. And I hadn't realized until like a week and a half before I left that I had scheduled myself to be with my sons on Mother's Day. I had no idea. I know. It was really nice. And so, um, and we don't do, never really have past the craft stage. We've never really done like, I don't. I don't do like Mother's Day, like honor me, honor me. I, that yeah, like that yeah. whole thing. We just we don't do that as yeah. a family. Mm-hmm. And um, so it was funny because um, my older son, because we really hadn't talked about it. My older son actually had a bachelor party, so he had left town, so he wasn't there. So it was just my younger son and I. And it was funny he had gone to work on. God, was it? It was either before or after, but basically somebody had come up to him and said, "You know, what did you what did you get your mom for Mother's Day?" And he goes, well, we, oh, this must have been Monday after Mother's Day. He goes, well, we really don't do that. And he said, the person said to him, well, I got my mother a Gucci purse. Oh, my gosh. And and he's like, would, would you have liked a Gucci purse, Mom? <laughs> no, sweetie. I don't want a Gucci purse. Like, no, I'm good. But it no. was funny because. You have had purses gone, you need to get rid of. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, but on that Saturday morning, not on Mother's Day, but on Saturday morning, we had gone, I was in Chicago and this is so unlike my son Campbell on Friday night. He's like, I mean, this, this is the kid that eats, you know, cooks for himself on Sunday, eats the same thing all week. He's very disciplined on Friday night. And I think this was kind of a ruse because he was the only one there and he was sort of in charge of me and I'm sure his, you know, but anyway, so he said on Friday night, he's like, I want some really good coffee tomorrow morning. This is so unlike Campbell, which is, I think he was just, projecting that he knew that I would want some really good coffee. Yeah. And so I'm like, great, you, you pick the place and we'll go get coffee in the morning. And so um, he said, well, there's this really nice little bistro that ser- he likes Turkish coffee that serves Turkish coffee mm-hmm. and it's in the peninsula. And I'm like, sounds fabulous. We'll go to the peninsula hotel for coffee. So we went there and it was lovely. I mean, beautiful pastries, the coffee, it was just a sweet space in the peninsula is lovely anyway. Okay. So it, yeah. it sort of matches the peninsula. And what was so funny is at the, like we had finished and we just had coffee and pastry. She walks over, the waitress comes over and hands him the check. That's great. And I, of course, normally would just like, I usually orchestrate so I pay for it. And and I thought, I'm not going to, like, I'm not going to make a scene and grab a check away from my 29-year-old son. On Mother's Day. Well, it was was the day before Mother's Day. Yeah, well, Mother's Day weekend. But it would seem infantilizing, you know, to like grab a check of a grown man who's doing just fine. So anyway, it was like one of the first times ever, like when we've gone out, like that, that he paid. And it was like, it was so weird. And we were laughing about it. She just said, she recognized that I was an adult male. And it's like, (laughs) yes, sweetie, you are. You're 29 years old. I had two babies at this point. So yes, you're an adult male, but it was just, it was very sweet. And so he had forgotten that he had done that for me. And then um, my son's, my other son's girlfriend and 
Campbell took me out to dinner on Mother's Day and sort of wrangled the check. But it's just it's it's just not a thing with us. And so it's always very low key. And I don't know why we've never done the um, but it's kind of like, as the boys always say, and it's true. And it's something that goes back to this whole de- idea of best to the nest is we're really hyper focused in our family on treating each other well every day. Mm hmm. And not rising the the occasion some days. Yeah. And I would say as a family sort of ethic, um, it it really has lived out. I mean, I talk to my sons almost every day. It's a quick call. It's a quick whatever. But there's great consideration that they give me that I wouldn't trade that for anything. I mean, Mm -hmm. if I could have that in the Gucci purse, maybe both. But I wouldn't trade one for the other. You know, I wouldn't. So I love that idea. I think I think what you just said is so important, though, because I've been thinking a lot about this idea of celebrating the everyday mm-hmm. and just celebrate the everyday. And um, and, you know, flowers can seem like a very silly sort of throwaway thing. And Jay said to me uh, recently, he was like, I don't want we we were talking about holiday decor and his right. mom used to always like, she loved holidays. So she would decorate for every holiday. Right. I'm just not that person. And Jay is right. a pretty minimalist. Right. So I don't have like a bin of stuff. I mean, I have stuff for Christmas, like decorating right. things like that, but I don't like decorate for Valentine's day. I don't decorate for yeah, Halloween. I, I don't decorate for any of that stuff. And I remember Jay saying recently, I just want to differentiate the holidays with flowers. And I was like, this is great that you're saying this. He's like, cause he goes, because he really loves poinsettias. He always gets, he always goes to the store and buys oh. several poinsettias, brings them home and then says, now, can you put these where they need to go? You know, right. he's like, put, right. them, put them where you want them. Um, but he loves the shift in celebrating holidays by having flower, different flowers in the house. And I, love I that. and I've really grown to love that too. And he loves getting me flowers on Valentine's day and right. mother's day or like orchids and things like that, because it just brings a lot of joy and it's not like a cheesy throwaway, like, Oh, I'm just going to get her flowers. It, you, it makes every, it makes the day better when you have fresh flowers in your house. My strongest memory of living in St. Paul was the tradition that I had my own tradition of going to the farmer's market in St. Paul every week on Saturday. And I would go visit the Lily man. I love lilies. And he had the most beautiful lilies. You know, they were closed they weren't open yet. So oh, you would bring so them good. home and then they would open and I would get a couple of bunches mm-hmm. and have them in the house. So that for me was a seasonal marker of when the lilies were in bloom. And then for the whole season, my house would smell like lilies. Yeah. And I think that's a really, that idea of marking the holidays with flowers is really wonderful too. Cause then you're not sort of stuck with all this decor which Stuff. you have to store and I know gotta, and so you just let it go you it. enjoy it and then and you let, let it go. go I know I love that well and then the fun thing too about having the Mother's Day flowers in my hotel room which I they, had then I beautiful. had this light bulb moment that I'm like why am I keeping the flowers in the kitchen on a nightstand or in your bedroom means mm-hmm. that you smell them that they are like my sleep was so peaceful I walked into the room every day and could smell these beautiful flowers. And I was like, I got to be putting these in the bedroom. Like, what a great idea. Oh, that That's is wonderful. A, when my, um, when we bought the house next door and my mom was living next door, one of the things that was great about it. So the same person that we bought our house from owned the house next door. It's right. up on a little hill. So they're sort of tucked away together. And he's a, he was a beautiful gardener. He is a beautiful gardener. And so 
on in our house, something is blooming all season. Oh, Different things so are popping up and going. Like the peonies are going right yeah. now. Mm-hmm. Um, the you're gladiolus. in a good. You're in a good growing zone too. Oh, we're in a beautiful. Like not too hot, zone. not too cold. It's like no, perfect. It's, so I have gladiolas. There's all oh, the tulips have already passed, and he lived a little. He he did the same in the house that we bought for my mom, and more so. Um, it's the front of the house is just filled with rose bushes, and then. There's just flowers, like the weirdest little bulbs would pop up like in August. It's like, well, where did that one come from? But one of the things I did for my mom, because she had lived most of her adult life or at least 30 years or more in a high rise, mm-hmm. um, what I did for her is I would always go out to the yard and I would cut a fresh bouquet from the yard. So and nice. so pretty much the whole time she lived next door, she had flesh, fresh flowers in her bedroom with her. And it was such a special thing. For her because it was not the norm you know right. was, she was not the kind of person that she was going to buy flowers for herself mm-hmm. and put but it is and i would sometimes make like just these little mini like they're only like i had these teeny vases and they'd be like a little mini bouquet so it'd be maybe four little flowers and just put it next to her bed um it is super special i think i think the everyday is is powerful things like that are powerful i yeah i totally agree okay so how are you feeling after finals are you all done I am done with my first year of graduate school. I have wow. one more to go and maybe an extra semester in there because I'm doing it a little bit differently than everybody else. I'm taking some classes that don't count toward my major. Yeah. So that makes me go a little bit. I may have to go a bit longer, but um, I finished the first year, went really well. Uh, I am no longer intimidated. You know, the, the writing is what was intimidating me mm-hmm. just because it's been a long time. You know, it's a different kind of writing. and right. And that has not been hard in the sense that I, it, it's, um, the, the work is difficult, but I can, like, I don't have writer's block. I don't feel intimidated by it. So that's been, that's been really wonderful. And I love the program I'm in. I have just amazing professors, but um, it is weird. And I, I think I talked about this when I had finals after my first semester. What is so strange, Elizabeth, is to, like in one class, the the final is a 120-minute exam, no books, no notes, no anything. So it's six ess- uh, three essay questions, and you're pulling in all the concepts from memory. And, you know, that's the first time I had to do that last semester. That really worried me yeah. just because I ha- my brain hasn't had to work that way in so long. And now it's sort of a game and it's really fun to me. And I just sort of, I overstudy because I like to study and it's been fine. But what was great is up in Chicago and I was talking to a woman, I had an appointment up there and I was talking to this woman and she was asking about me and I said, well, I'm in graduate school. And she sort of looked at me and she's like, what are you taking? And I said, well, it's a master's of English with a, my the thread that I'm on, you know, my specialty will be children's literature. And she's like, oh, that's so amazing. And we talked a little bit more and I could tell she was like, wanted to ask me something. And then finally, like we talked enough and she's like, how is it to be older to go back? She said, I'm, I'm too afraid to go back. Mm. And I said, how old are you? And she said, I'm 40. And I said, don't even give it another thought. I said, I understand that because when I actually went, the, I went to get this master's at 36 when we moved to Minnesota. I was in the master's program when I was offered the job at my talk at the radio yeah. station. And I'll never forget, I was at the U. I had started the program. I was in my first class. I mean, it was like the first week or two. 
and I'd gone up to ask the professor something and she was so nasty and she was so condescending to me um, where she was like, you know, this program's really difficult. You may find this really difficult. I mean, I was 30, 34 or 35. Yikes. It wasn't even, she was so not nice. It made it easy to walk away. And I'm mm -hmm. not dissing the University of Minnesota. I love, I mean, so many great things happened at the University of Minnesota. I know that. And, mm -hmm. and so it's not a diss to the university, but it was a particular. Well, I'm a badger, so you can diss the University of Minnesota but, all you want. It doesn't matter to me. It, but it was a particular odd thing to go through when you're already feeling, you know, outside of the norm. Right. It was so insensitive and strange the way that she... And, you know, and I, I was sort of on the cusp. I wasn't sure what I was going to do. And then the job came up and it was like, okay, I'll do that. But I'd always wanted to go back and get my master's. The feeling at, at here with the professors that I've had, they are so welcoming. They are so encouraging. They're so seemingly glad that I'm here. I mean, because of that conversation, before I applied to this program, I scheduled a meeting with the head of the graduate department and said, I just want to know that I'm going to be welcome. I said it nicer than that. But basically, yeah. I want to know that this is going to be a good experience. He's like, oh, my God, we would love to have you. Do you want to teach? Yeah. What do you want? Like, come, be here. And um, so I was saying to this woman, and the students are fantastic. You know, it's so great to sort of see most of them are anywhere between 24 and 30. Mm -hmm. It's to sort of see where they are. And so I was telling this woman, like, don't hesitate. Take one class because she's working full time. Take one class at a time if, if if you're leaning to do it. And I would say that to anybody that's listening, especially like if you're at home right now with your kids, start and you thought you wanted to go back and get a master's or you want to get your undergraduate, start clicking off, you know, one class at a time. One class at a time. Yeah. Um, because you'd be amazed at how quickly you can land somewhere very different than where you started. Mm -hmm. And then the other residual thing is Campbell actually said something really interesting. We were talking about one particular topic and he, and he said it more eloquently that I'm going to repeat it, but basically was saying, we are now sim talking sort of the same language about certain things because there are lots of things that I'm coming in contact with that I would never yeah. come in contact with if I, as a 58 year old, right were I not in this program, 58-year-olds mm -hmm. and, you know, older people, what I find, a lot of them love to talk about what they're going to buy next or retirement mm -hmm. because they're in that phase of their life. Right. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. They've worked hard. They've, you know, worked hard their whole lives. My head's not there yet. And so it's been really interesting to have my head be somewhere where other people's heads are, which are not my great. age. So it was such a great thing to have this woman, like, finally have the courage to say, like, I see that you're older. What is that like? And I just, it reminded me that I never feel, I, I, I obviously am different than the other students. I don't really socialize them with them. I mean, I don't go out sure. and hang out the pubs or anything. But Even though class, you're Irish. <laughs> even though I'm Irish. I could do that. But I don't. But I just, I think it was just a good reminder that, this is a weird thing that I'm doing by a lot of people's standards. But I would say if you've ever thought about doing it, you'll just enjoy it. And just make sure that it's a place that understands you and why you're doing it and is welcoming. And it's it's wonderful. I think that's yeah. really great. That's yeah. such a good point. And I would love for us to get to the point where you don't feel like it's an insult to ask someone their age or to acknowledge their place in life. Yeah. But that is not an insulting thing. Like mm -hmm. I just, 
I hope that that shifts in the next, the next generation. Cause I think I don't feel like uncomfortable with saying how old I am or anything right. of the sort. And so I, what I would like is for that to continue. Right. And this idea that we're so afraid, like a woman never tells her age. I mean, that is ridiculous. That is like, it's insulting. It's insulting. Yeah. It's insulting. And it's also, I don't know. I think it's like disrespectful to those who don't get to live as long. I don't know. I mean, how many people like, I think about this with like my grandmother who just died at 94 and her husband died at 49. Right. What a life he would have loved to live to be able to say that he was 60. He would have loved to say that. I mean, the alternative is that you're dead in the ground. So I would say that it's a better option to just start embracing the place that you are. Right. And to love that, which is kind of funny because going, you know, we can kind of come full circle here, Marjorie, going back to that article that Rachel Hutton um, wrote about me in the Star Tribune. She, she quoted something that I've said, I, I, you know, I posted like a version of this on social media and then I talked to her about it too, which was just talking about the shift of how I have handled criticism and how I have handled that publicly throughout my career. And I've talked about being in my twenties feeling just hot with shame about it. Like when I would get a message from someone that was critical or even worse insulting, I couldn't even like show those messages to people because I just felt so shame filled and so like terrible in my thirties, I started to just get pissed off and I would just fire back. I mean, you know this about me and I would and right. it would really get to me like the principle of the thing is what right. where I would be at, where I would be like, you don't get to treat someone like that. Right. And so if I'm going to tell you that like that, right. then you're probably treating other people like that. And so I'm going to stand up for all of us right now. Right. And so and then so I would spend I would expend a lot of energy doing it's exhausting. That. It's exhausting. And so mm-hmm. in my 40s, when I got to the point where I would get these and I said this to Rachel and she quoted this, that. I have come to that realization that if you are a person who takes the time to reach out and insult someone, that all is not well and good with your soul. Right. There is no way possible that someone who is sitting in their body, their soul in their body, and all is well and good. No one like that would take the time to, to, to purposely reach out to hurt someone else. And so instead I just essentially offer like a silent prayer for peace for you and move on. And then she said, what, um, how do you think you'll be in your fifties? And I said, I think I'll just probably swear a lot and laughed about it. As you talk about (laughs) being in that phase of life and feeling, you know, and, and this journey through education, which I think is like so incredible. I mean, I think it's incredible to just to, to commit to education at any time is incredible because it's a big sacrifice. It's a crap ton of work. It is a crap Um, ton of work. Yeah. But (laughs) But as I think about that, that like the privilege of being able to do that it's at, how it feels. is is amazing. That's exactly how it feels. And I think, and I think I, I like what you said though, just to sort of take a moment and sort of a prayer for peace for that person. And I think that kind of ugliness that comes out, I'm glad for you that that's where you've landed in that process, because I think for whether you're a, a public person or not, Anybody that's assaulted by criticism, it's exhausting to try and fight it. Mm-hmm. That all you can just do is just take a breath and hope for something better for the person that's spewing it. Because right. it's just, and I think that's a, probably a good thing to remember as we approach election season. Uh, let's just all take a breath. Let's all take a breath. Take a breath. But I love that. And I'm so glad she 
was able to sort of capture some of that in the article because it's been a long road, darling. 15 I years know. is like a thousand years in TV time. I know. And 20 years total in TV in um, just a few weeks. It's a long ride, but um, getting to chat with you is just one of the highlights of it, it all. It is always a highlight. I'm so it's glad you're joy. home. I like your posts. And I will say this one thing before we end this podcast, and this is just from me to you and obviously to anybody else that's listening. What is wrong with us that you are wandering about Ireland loving the food? That's what I got out of, like, there's a little bit of a foodie tour going on. I know. I'm a former food television producer. Mm -hmm. Where's our show, Elizabeth? Why are we not traveling the world Mm -hmm. looking at food? We should be doing that. And eating food. Yeah. We should be doing that. We should Somehow, be doing some way, we should be doing that because make our life fun. Yeah, that really would. Yes, it, it really would. is great. Yeah, Very good. Great. All right. Well, friends, if you are enjoying this podcast, we would love it if you would subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a review at Apple Podcasts, you know, and maybe even if you could post a little share, if you want to like share it in your Instagram stories that you listen and encourage somebody else to listen, we would love that. You know, we again, would love that. we're not and trying to pay find- the mortgage, but that's what we're here for. <laughs> <laughs> Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Best of the Nest or go to bestofthenest.com to subscribe. Oh, this is an old one. I almost said to subscribe to our newsletter. We'll have to edit. Maybe someday. Maybe someday. <laughs> or we can just be hopeful. We are the podcast that brings you home. <laughs>